morning. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate that reflective tone of, of our music this morning as we celebrate communion here in a little bit. As we do uh, the first month, of, our first week of every month. That's a great reminder. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17 this morning. Uh, last week, uh, Lucas Baer was here, a missionary uh, to Brazil, and a good friend of mine just loved his sermon last week, and um, just thankful for, for him. And, uh, but we do get back into Genesis as we will, uh, this whole month, I'll, I'll finish up our little series here in Genesis, uh, not finish it, we still got next summer as well, unless the Lord tarries, and we would say, Lord, come quickly. Um, but if he doesn't, we'll go through Genesis some more next summer, Lord willing. Um, but uh, yeah, so we'll finish up, I'll be preaching this month and, and finish up Genesis through probably chapter 20, I think, is how far we'll make it. But Genesis 17 this morning, uh, which I've titled a relationship, a relationship with God. And I hope you have one. In any healthy marriage relationship, there is, I hope, Consistent communication. Now, this is not marriage counseling, so just listen for a little bit, okay? Don't turn to your spouse and say, we don't have this. But in a healthy marriage relationship, there is hopefully consistent communication, healthy communication. There are typically mutual interests, things that you do together or encourage each other to do. Mutual goals, hopefully, um, like get the kids out of the house, healthy, would be a goal. Um, spiritually speaking, hopefully you have goals that you have together to grow closer in your relationship with God. In a marriage, there is a symbol. There's a symbol of this relationship, isn't there? Guys, ladies. There's this, right? It's called a ring. Hopefully, if you're married, you're wearing one. This symbol says, I'm married. This symbol is just that. It doesn't tell you how my marriage is going. It's just a symbol that says, I'm married. The symbol tells Everyone that's around, that I am taken, that your spouse is taken. It doesn't tell anybody if you have a healthy marriage. It doesn't tell anybody that you have healthy communication and that you solve conflict to God be the glory, that you have spiritual goals. No, it just tells people that you're married, that you belong to someone. I want you to consider that symbol as we're into Genesis chapter 17 and this relationship with God. How does someone know that you have a relationship with God? We have talked about a relationship with God and specifically the relationship that God has with this man named Abram. It all started 
in Genesis chapter 12 when God initiated a relationship with this man, this pagan guy, this guy that didn't know him, God initiated a relationship and Abram responded in faith. He put his faith and trust in this God and a relationship began. And in that relationship, God made some promises to him. We've read about them in Genesis chapter 12. We saw this uh, culmination of these promises that God made in a very human example that Abram would have been familiar with. Just to remind you, in Genesis chapter 15, if you weren't here during that sermon. But in Genesis chapter 15, if you remember, uh, in Abram's time, they would, they would cut animals down the middle. They would put them in half, and all the blood would go to the middle. It would be called a blood covenant. And in this covenant, you and a person are saying, we are making these promises. And we will fulfill them. And if we break our promise, we die. And so God, knowing that Abram is a man and a sinful man at that, he cannot fulfill this covenant that God himself would fulfill the covenant. He alone would walk between the pieces as a demonstration that he fulfills his commitment to mankind. We see it uh, when Abram was in a deep sleep. It says when the sun went down and it was dark and behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between the pieces. This was a symbol of God's presence walking through those pieces. Only God can fulfill this blood covenant perfectly. Now, we as Christians, we understand that this even more, this blood covenant, because of what we celebrate on communion, that Jesus' blood... God becomes man in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and establishes a blood covenant with us. And it's only through his blood, his shed blood, can we receive the promises that God makes to us, which is eternal life. So, God's word in this relationship, this beginning in Genesis, is wanting all of us who read it, and specifically Moses, who's writing these words to Israel, to know exactly what it means and who the God is that they have a relationship with. In Genesis 17, God is going to provide a symbol to anyone who has this relationship with God. It starts with Abram, and it'll pass to all of his people. It'll be something that separates God's people from the people that live in the world. This symbol we're going to read about is circumcision. We'll get to understanding that a little bit more. But as we approach this passage, and hopefully you've made it to chapter 17, I want us to think, as we consider this passage, as Abram did, as he was experiencing what's going on in chapter 17. Just to give you an idea, Abram right now is 99 years old. It has been 24 years since that initiation of that relationship back in Genesis chapter 12, when he left Haram 
and went to where God had told him to go. In obedience, he responded to the divine call of salvation. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, talked about that, if you went back to that. That was that initiating, saving relationship that Abram has with his God. We see in Genesis chapter 15 what Abram did. He responded in faith. Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 says, And he believed the Lord. He trusted the Lord. He put his faith in the Lord and God credited him or counted it to him as righteousness. See, Abram, like us, is not perfect. He's a sinner and we've seen it since Genesis chapter 12. He lied about his wife. He, he's, he's gone the opposite direction. He went to Egypt. And, and just in chapter 16, he sleeps with his, with his, his servant lady and has a, a child with, with him. I mean, he's a mess up. He's a screw up just like us. But what God did was credited him or counted him as perfection because of his faith. Just like us. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus. God gives us his perfection. So 13 years now has taken place. From chapter 16 to the beginning of 17. 13 years of Abram sitting there thinking about the mistake. That he made. Sleeping with Hagar. And having Ishmael. So Ishmael is now 13 years old. Abram again has made a wrong turn in this walk of faith. Following the advice of his wife. He attempted to produce the very promise that God made him. He took it in his own hands. And so 13 years Abram is thinking about that decision. And I think that's important for all of us to understand. These 13 years of, whether it felt like a wilderness experience for Abram, God never left Abram. But maybe, maybe, Abram, knowing he's made a mistake with the God of the universe, this relationship with God, he screwed up. Maybe he feels distant from God. Have you been there? But these 13 years aren't wasted. They are meant to serve and to intensify for Abram the impossibility that Abram and Sarah could ever have a child without God's plan. That they, they cannot serve to fulfill God's promise to Abram by taking it in their own hands. Now, yes, they had Ishmael. But that was not how God designed it. And so those 13 years, now God is going to come and speak to Abram. And he is going to fulfill his promise to Abram about a child he promised. This work of God is surely going to be his work. As it always has to be. In this time, it still seems that Abram still believes, even though he made a mistake, Ishmael is going to fulfill this promise. Abram, like Israel, because again, Moses is writing this to Israel as they're entering into the promised land. 
Israel needed to understand what it means to have a relationship with God. Even when they make mistakes, even when they try to take things in their own hands, what God is trying to teach them. We must also understand this relationship. We must understand the character of God so that we can better serve Him, so that we can better live for Him. And that's what Genesis 17 is going to teach us. It's going to teach us about a relationship with the God we say we believe in. So let's get into it. The first thing I want you to consider is, who is God? Verses 1 through 8, once again, give us a very good understanding of who this God is that we say we believe in. That Abram is learning to follow. God's word starts in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. It says this, when Abram was 99 years old, 24 years after the initial salvation that he placed in God, the Lord appeared to Abram. After 13 years from Genesis chapter 16, there is a shift here that I want you to notice. In the past, since Genesis chapter 12, 12 God has only spoken to Abram. We see it in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said. We see it again in Genesis chapter 15, that the Lord said. That he came to him in a vision and spoke to him. So now, after 24 years, God is going to reveal himself to Abram. He appears, go back to verse 17, he appears to Abram. Abram is seeing God for the first time. Why is this important? Why do I want us to consider this? Because God wants a relationship with you. For most of my life, I thought God was just some distant character in the sky. Somebody that I don't talk to only if I need something. And it wasn't until I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ on November 2nd, 2001, did I know that he wanted a relationship with me through his son, Jesus Christ. Abram needs to know, Israel needs to know that God desires a relationship with you. That is who he is. This is so important for us to get a grip on. God is the creator of everything. And he wants a relationship with you and I. I want you to see something as well in Genesis chapter 17 verse 1. God refers to himself as God Almighty. The Almighty God. The Hebrew is El Shaddai. It is the first time this word this name of God is used. Why is that important? Because once again, Moses is writing to Israel to let them know of the character of who God is. El Shaddai means almighty God. It means he is always sufficient. It means that God is always enough. It means that in every occasion, 
for every being created, for every responsibility that will take place on this earth, any work that takes place, God is in control. The word Almighty, El Shaddai, means that God is of all knowledge. Not just all knowledge, He is of all foreknowledge. He is all wisdom. He is all authority. He is all powerful. This is a big name, El Shaddai. Abram needed to know who his God is. And so does Israel. And so does the follower of Jesus Christ. Moses is writing this by inspiration to make the point to the Israelites. This is our God. As we go into a land that hates us, God is in control. And this is who we follow. The one who knows everything that's going to happen. The good and the bad. Nothing is getting past our God that isn't part of his plan. Do you believe that? Moses needs us to know who the God is we follow. We don't just read our Bibles without knowing who the character of God is. Or we will never follow him. Since our study in Genesis, God has revealed himself several times in different names. We have become familiar with the word Lord. It's the word Yahweh. It is the proper name of this personal God. We see it. Moses writes about it in Exodus chapter 3. Just, just read with me. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and they say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, Yahweh is my name. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am Yahweh, your personal God. That's his name. But back in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, we also le learned about the character of God revealed in his name, El Elyon. Now, if you don't remember, El Elyon is where he uses, it's the word God Most High. This is an important uh, name for God. It literally means he is the final authority on all matters. He is the supreme God above all gods. Little g. He is God. So, just consider. Why does Moses take careful attention, other than the fact that it is by inspiration of the Holy Spirit? We know that. But why the names of God? Why the character traits of God? Why did Abram, and why does Israel, and why in turn does the follower of Christ need to know the different names of God? Because we need to know who God is. Because God wants us to know who he is. We need to know his character. Because who God is, follower of Christ, who God is, is someone who makes promises and keeps them.
When God makes a promise, that's who he is. And in this passage, in Genesis chapter 17, because of who Jesus is, who God is, God is going to make promises to Abram. And because Abram is now relying on the character of who God is, even when Abram makes mistake after mistake after mistake, he sees that God will remain faithful even when he messes up. Isn't that good to know? That should give an amen. Even when you mess up, do you know that God's plan will follow through? Because he's God. So God makes seven promises, and each of them are stated with an I will statement. Let's read them. In Genesis chapter 17, again, Abram was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the God Almighty, else should I. Walk before me and be blameless. That I will make my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him. And here begins these seven I wills. After those initial two. Behold my covenant is with you. And you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. But your name shall be Abraham. A father of all nations. For I have made you the father of the multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after, your, after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you. And to your offspring after you. And I will give you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings all the land of Cana which is exactly where Israel is going into for an everlasting possession I will be their God and then look at verse 19 God said no but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And then in verse 21. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac. Whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. This is very interesting by the way. As you study scripture. Because again Moses is writing this. to For the Israelites to understand that when God makes a promise. He will fulfill it. That's who he is. That's his character. But this parallels, if you study scripture, these I will uh, statements that he makes to Abram parallels statements of I will that he makes to Israel. I'm not going to go through them all, but in, our, in a study in Exodus chapter 6, I just want you to see that he makes seven I will statements to Israel as well. Go to Exodus chapter 6. I'm not going to read them all, but there's seven of them. The point of this is Moses is making a parallel between the promises that God makes to Israel and the promises that God made to Abram. And the point is, the same God who made the promises to Abram is the same God who makes promises to Israel, is the same God we trust. And it's the same God a follower of Jesus Christ follows. 
when God says who he is, when you do a Bible study, when we study God's word, your objective is not to gain pride of knowledge so that you can battle somebody with scripture and tell them how dumb they are because they don't know something. The purpose of scripture is so that you know the character of God so that you can follow him. So that you can fall in love with him. So that when you, when you present to your friend or your neighbor at work, you tell him what you know about your God. That he saved you from your sin. This is the character of God. This is why we study God's word. We need to know who he is. So that we can better serve him and love him. Which leads me to my second point. I think this passage not only wants us to consider who this God is that Abram has a relationship with. Who Israel has this relationship with. Who the follower of Jesus Christ has a relationship with. But he also wants us to understand as we understand who he is. What should our response be to him? Well, let's look at it. Go back to verse 1 once again. God tells him, listen, I'm El Shaddai. I am all-powerful. I'm all-knowing. I'm all-wisdom. Walk with me. Walk before me and be blameless. This is a response to God and who he is. Our response to this loving God, this, this God who didn't, abandon Abram and Sarah after they take things in their own hands? After they sin and lie? This is a God who wants them to know Him. To love Him. And yes, the response is to obey Him. To walk with Him. And to be blameless. What does that word mean? Perfect? Well, the idea actually is the word to be complete, to be full. The idea that, that, that God wants us to know that we can never be truly complete without a relationship with God. And that can only happen if you're perfect. So should I, should I show a show of hands, how many of you are perfect? See, the idea here is, is that God... Just like the initiation of a relationship that he had with Abram, God will have to do the work to make us perfect. Just like with Abram, just like the follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes us perfect. Paul writes about it actually in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says this, for our sake he made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. So that in him, catch this, we might become the perfection, blameless, the blamelessness of God. How are you going to stand before God when you're a sinner? You stand in Christ. So then as a follower of Jesus Christ, as Abram, an, an, an unperfect uh, guy that is walking with God, he knows that he walks with God because God makes him perfect. 
Genesis chapter 17, verse 3. Look at look what a, another response to knowing who God is. We see a, a response of worship. It says that Abram fell on his face. This demonstrates the humility that is needed to draw near to God. This is this idea of dependence. This idea that we need God. We don't just want God to tag along to our life. We need God. Abram's response to who God is was to humbly fall on his face in utter dependence on God. And I got to tell you, as I get to know God deeper and deeper, and I hope it's true for you, but too often I take things in my own hands and just ask God to bless it. And when the disciples ask Jesus, teach us how to pray, there's this idea that Jesus also wants us to know that we are in utter dependence of God continually. What is your response to God and who He is? Is it humility? But then not only that, not only do we see this idea of obedience, we see the idea of humility, this idea of worship, but we do see a symbol of obedience. And I want you to see this response that God calls Abram to do. Starting in chapter 10, just, just follow along with me. So he says, God says, this is my covenant, Abram, which you shall keep. Between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised. He's 99, by the way. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought with, bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is brought, bought with your money shall be surely circumcised. So shall my covenant be with your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, she shall not, you will not call her Sarai, but Sarah, which means princess, shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed. Now some people wonder, what does this mean? Was it a sinful laugh? Some, some commentaries suggest he's, the, the laugh is kind of like a, how, how's that going to happen? I'm 99? I mean, he laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? 
Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael, you know, the guy that I was with Hagar, I took it in my own hands, God. I, I know what I'm doing. See, Abram still thought he could do what he needed to do. And God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear with you a son, and you shall call him name Isaac. Which, by the way, Isaac means he laughed. So Isaac was going to be a constant reminder that he laughed at God. Isn't it just like God to show us some examples in our lives? I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. For as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear with you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up to Abram. Then Abram took Ishmael, his son, and those born in the house. And every male in Abram's house was circumcised. You see in the obedience here, his response. By the word, the word circumcised means to remove the flesh. Now, I'm not going to get descriptive here. But that is exactly what has to take place in a spiritual conversion as well. You have to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. And so there is some symbolism here with circumcision. Not only uh, the outward symbol that this has. But keep going. He circumcised every day. And in verse 26, the very day Abram and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of the house, those born in the house, brought with money from the foreigner, were circumcised with him. Okay. So, we see who God is, and we see the response. And so what I want you to do is just consider some application to what this means. To who God is. And to what our response would be as we look through Genesis chapter 17. Again, we could tackle so many different things, but I just want you to consider a couple things. Here's the first thing I want you to apply or consider. Do you know the God of the Bible? So we're asking our question, who is God? With the names of God and all this. But So the application should be, do you know the God of the Bible? Do you read God's word so that you can know his character better? So that you can fall in love with him? So that as you read God's word, you are falling more and more in love with him so that you can love other people? Have you put your faith and trust in the God of salvation? Do you know him that way? His son Jesus Christ, by the way, is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise that he's making to Abraham. God will save his people. Abram is the first line that God promises in Genesis 3.15 that he will provide a man, perfect God-man, that will die for our sins. Do you know the son of Je- do you know the son Jesus Christ? Have you admitted that your sin has separated you from a holy God? 
that Jesus has bridged the gap between you and God? Have you trusted his work on the cross? Do you know the God of the Bible? And then finally, then, what is our response as Christians today? Well, as Abram fell on his face, what does your worship look like? Is there humility in your life? Is there humility in my life? God gave Abram and Sarah a brand new name. Just like he did Saul by giving his name Paul. Just like Simon gave his new name Peter. God's grace and his mercy should humble all of us. As he's given us a new name. What is your response to knowing God? Is it pride? Is it just to build knowledge? I know Bible verses. I could teach anyone how to be perfectly obedient to God. But if you don't have love, you sound like a Pharisee. When you respond to who God is, it should humble us. There shouldn't be a prideful relationship with God. Like Abram, like Sarah, we all mess up. And thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Our response should be a love for people. The Pharisees didn't love people, but they knew God. They wanted to control the people. Adding their application. Yes, they knew God's word in and out, but they wanted their own application. And Jesus went after these people. God does want us to respond to his word but we do it in love. Obedience is a response, but it comes from love. That is why knowing who God is is so important. Otherwise, your, your obedience is just to prove something. Legalists always love to compare their walk with yours. They want to tell you all the ways that they're holy and you're not. And the Bible says, Jesus said, they're like whitewashed walls. On the outside, they look great. But on the inside, they hate people. And they hate God's people. A calling of obedience is absolutely critical in a relationship with God. But make no mistake, if that obedience doesn't come from a love for people, you will become a legalist. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5. Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus 
and his guest was his guest of honor. By the way, Levi was a tax collector. People didn't like him. He didn't worship the way people thought he should. And many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. How dare Jesus invite people like this? Listen, the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly. And that's what they loved to do. And they complained at Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. That's the God I want to follow. Do you have a relationship with this Jesus? Not some fictitious Jesus that someone's building in your mind, but the actual God of the Bible? What is our response? Evangelism is our response. We should want to share with people who this God is. Our theology, our knowing who God is, should should not only tell me that God is going to save who he wants to save, but in God's perfect means, he uses people like us to share that truth. We don't sit back and say, well, God's just going to take care of it. By God's means, he wants to use me and you. Why? Why? Because we're a mess and our God isn't. And people need to know that. So what's your response as you've gotten to know God? As you have this relationship with Jesus Christ, what is your response to him? Because there has to be a response. And that's what's great about going to the communion table. As we go to the communion table, this Lord's table, there are two symbols that represent this relationship with God. We hold the bread, and it symbolizes the life of Jesus. 100% man, 100% God, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He is the perfect sacrifice because he did not sin. And so he could die for mankind. Where Adam failed, Jesus, the Son of God, would not. We hold that bread and it reminds us that we sin. And that our sin put Jesus on that cross. We should confess. Our desire should be to repent of our sin. Knowing that Jesus died for it. We hold that juice and we remember once again it symbolizes his blood. That this is the new covenant. The new relationship is in his blood. His shed blood. That in his blood, God gives life. A new life. His life he gives 
to us so that we might have eternal life. Did you know that this symbol, like a wedding ring, is only for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who have repented of their sins and turned to Jesus for the fulfillment of the promise that he made to Abram. That he would die, that he would bridge the gap. It is only a table, a symbol for those who have trusted Christ. It would be like, I mentioned the marriage. If you're a single person here, if you put a wedding ring on, that would be kind of weird, right? Don't do that. Okay? You put a wedding ring on because you're taken. You come to the communion table because you know what it symbolizes. But if you're here today and you want to know about this relationship, the Word of God has revealed the truth that He died for you and you want this relationship with Him Put your faith and trust in Jesus today and come to the communion table. Put your trust in Him and the forgiveness of your sins and begin that relationship of the God of the Bible. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. For once again, we get an opportunity to learn who you are, and how we are to respond. And God, you are so gracious and forgiving. We don't get what we deserve. And in your grace, you have provided eternal life through your Son. And so Jesus, we come to you. We come today on a Sunday to worship you. To get to know who you are so that when we leave here, we're on mission to tell people about you. And God, I pray for those of us who do know you that are coming to the Lord's table that we are reminded once again that our sin is ugly and that we are to confess and repent our sin daily so that we might establish that close fellowship with you which is far better than our sin. God, use this time in the lives of every individual here that they would do an accounting, an accounting of their lives. And may it begin with that relationship with you. God, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, there'll be a couple songs that are played. And during that time, come up, do the elements at the table, and then go back to your seat, and then I'll come up, and those of us who know Christ, we will commune together at the table.